Hello, and welcome to the Mental Health Crossroads podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sheen, and today I'm joined by our producer, Alex Shewal. And Alex and I are going to just talk a little bit about the highlights from season one. We're just wrapping up our first season, and we're excited to talk about some of those highlights and also what our plan is for the next year. So looking back over season one, what were some of your favorite parts? I think for me, having a season one is pretty exciting. This was uh, our first attempt at podcasting, and we both learned a lot from just how to record and minimize background noise and equipment that we were using and editing software. Um, so just figuring that out has been a lot of fun. Um, but beyond that, I think really the chance to talk to people, some of which that we, we knew quite well ahead of time, members of our team, mm -hmm. um, but it was nice to visit with them in this context. I think the, the best part for me though was we met a lot of really cool people, um, really a lot of new people uh, in the course of this year. And just getting to hear from all of the different people, meet them, what they're doing to improve, you know, the quality of life for people with intellectual disabilities and mental health issues uh, was just really, really cool. And I, I feel like we both came out of this with a, like a lot of new friends across the country that are doing really great things in this area. So I, I just love to visit with people and hear how they got started and, and what they're up to. So that's got to be a highlight for me. What about you? I just thought it was great to be able to sort of put a platform out there to share other people's stories because there are so many people involved in this field and you don't always get a chance to listen to all of them. But I think having these kind of targeted conversations, it gives you a really good chance to highlight what other people are doing. You know, if you've been listening throughout the season, hopefully you've seen us evolve a little bit. And they do say in the podcasting world that it takes about 25 episodes to kind of find the voice and flavor of a particular podcast. And we're, we're just over halfway to that number of episodes. Um, but hopefully, as we continue to have conversations, um, maybe we've gotten a little bit better at, at asking good questions and having conversations. But I think our guests have all been fantastic. Yeah, I think going into season two, there's going to be a couple of changes. One of the things that we're excited about is we're going to have uh, a few more co-hosts and some different some different voices hosting the podcast. So that'll be fun. And But Jeff, I think you have some exciting news you want to tell us about why it's changing so much in season two. Well, one of the ways it's changing is I will not be the host, um, at least not the regular host for the next season. I have taken a, a new position at as an associate professor in the Department of Sociology, Social Work, and Anthropology here at Utah State. So my role on this project is shifting. Uh, I love doing the podcast, and it's going to be hard to step away. So I may come back as time permits and, and do some episodes with probably with Justin, since he and I are such good friends. But yeah, I'm taking a new opportunity to, to grow my career and do um, more of what I love with teaching future social workers. So you've been doing this for a long time, Jeff, 20 in, years. In dog years, yes, it's been a long time. In people years, too. Uh, how did you get into this? <laughs> how did I get into this field? Uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about your experience, like what inspired you to actually get involved in this, and then how did you fall into this thing that you've been doing for 20 years? 
Yeah, well, I mean, it was like a dark and stormy night in 1973, and I entered stage right, and here I was in the world. And just early experiences with my my parents, who were both educators. Um, my father was one of the the first people in our, our small town in Idaho to have students with disabilities in his classroom in high school. Uh, you know, this is right in the early 70s as special education law was developing and and all of those things. And as a young person, uh, a lot of times uh, we would go and visit his classroom and meet the students. And I was probably six or seven. And that was just an, made an impression on me. Um, and then both my parents continued to kind of work with students, not directly all the time, but always had students with disabilities in their kind of classrooms and was part of their experience. So I was always kind of aware of that. Um, when I was about ready to leave the house, our family adopted um, my younger sister who has developmental disabilities. And so that was uh, a pretty impactful experience, obviously, and, and, and seeing some of the things that she had experienced in different service systems and, and the foster care system um, just lit the, the fire of social justice in me that I didn't know was there. And I just had a really strong sense that things could have been so much better for her. And if they could be better for her, they could probably be better for a lot more people. And so it was kind of through that lived experience of being a sibling, you know, that, that I talked to Emma Schaus about both of us as siblings, that really kind of led me into what I could study in college. And that led me into um, first psychology and then uh, sociology and then eventually to social work and social works where I really found my niche. And then I started here at the Center for Persons with Disabilities, um, which is a university center for excellence on developmental disability, uh, as a practicum student. And I had no idea when I walked through the doors that there was actually a disability field. I didn't know that there was like all of the organizations I'm aware of now and all of the amazing things that happened in this field. I had no idea existed other than the, the narrow experience with some services at school and things that my sister had interacted with. And I was still on the periphery there and my parents did most of that. So I was vaguely aware. So to jump into this um, and realize there was a whole field and a whole bunch of opportunities to work on systems change and develop projects and work directly with uh, individuals with disabilities and families to make things better uh, was pretty it was a pretty amazing thing I remember really feeling like that kid in a candy store that was like what where do I even start with all of the things that are possible um, so yeah and then it's I've been I was mentored by some amazing people uh, over the years had tremendous opportunities to meet people from all over the country and be involved in projects that uh, have had uh, hopefully a lasting impact on, on improving the quality of life for people with disabilities like my sister uh, and families. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the short version. So what are some of the things that are like standout experiences for you, whether that's a program you were able to work on or a person that you met? What are you going to remember in 20 more years? Well, I, I will remember a lot of the people I've met along the way for sure. Uh, a lot of what I've done in the last well, I, I can go by project and, you know, we're grant funded shops. So I've worked on a lot of different grant projects and I could go through a really long list of projects I've been involved with and, and name people for the next hour or two that have had an impact. Um, probably one of the biggest things I've, one of the things I've enjoyed the most is I've done a lot of work with young adults. 
um, with intellectual disabilities over the last 10 years in particular. And I just made some really cool friends um, um, and just really got to spend time with people that just keep it very real all of the time. And that's been probably the highlight is just the people I've met. Um, I had a good friend, Gordon Richens, who's since passed, uh, who had, you know, who was a quadriplegic, who'd had a, an accident on a farm. And he used to say that before his accident, he loved cows and hated people. And after his accident, he went back to school, got his um, education, became really involved in the independent living movement. And he's like, now I love people and hate cows. And <laughs> he was just this mentor. We would go on a lot of road trips. He needed a driver. So I would be the driver and we'd go to conferences and travel all over the state and actually the country. And what a fantastic uh, human being that taught me a lot about accessibility and inclusion. So Gordon stands out for sure as, as a big mentor. And then all of the young adults that I've worked with, you know, Justin Olson, I've known Justin for since 2005. So, I mean, 15 years now. And so we've kind of been associated and there was just a, we had a becoming leaders for tomorrow project back in 2005 and I'm in touch with 90% of those young adults that are now in their thirties. Um, and I'm, you know, now in my late forties. So those relationships certainly have been a highlight. And then just working on this project, meeting new people, working with you, Alex, um, our other team members, I won't name them all because I'll leave somebody out and I'll feel sad. But <laughs> working with some really cool folks all over the country um, across a number of projects, been, it's been a really big, big part of my life. It's been a big part of my life and I professional identity for sure. Hmm. What lessons are you able to walk away from this from? And what do you want other people to know based on what you've learned? Uh, I've learned yeah. some painful. I've learned some painful things along the way. Um, mostly about my own ignorance and, 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 need, <laughs> and need to um, improve in different parts of my professional work. But um, I don't know. I think one of the things that really stands out, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons I got into this work was to challenge the status quo. And I think a lesson I have learned from so many amazing advocates in this field is just don't give up the fight in um, challenging the status quo. Don't perpetuate the status quo or protect the system, um, particularly when the system needs to do more to serve the people it was created to help. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's very beneficial resources and service systems in place to support individuals with disabilities. And sometimes they get to a place um, where they are more about protecting the system than serving the people. And I think right. that's why I like systems change work is we can challenge our own systems within the disability field. We can challenge the systems outside and, and tangential and connected to it. Um, I think I have learned to reflect on why I do what I do and adjust my path as I need to be guided by values. So I think folks need to reflect on why they do the work that they do and, and always be open to learning. I think that's what I loved about being around young adults is I learned so much just from being, being, being invited into their world and, and being able to become their friends and just learn. I've learned far more than I've ever taught anybody for sure. And I think 
that's been um, that's been a nice thing to recognize that as much as I've tried to help, I have been uh, assisted and helped along the way. I've I've acquired my own disability experience personally over the last twenty years, and so I now identify as someone that has a disability and having the background in the field has been really helpful to navigate my own uh, experiences. And I don't know, I think sometimes in this field, we can make a really nice living for ourselves doing different things. And we need to keep in mind at the end of the day is the work that we're doing really getting to the people that we all were passionate about helping in the first place. And I don't want that to sound patronizing because it hasn't been about, it's not like this benevolent coming in to help people, but there are things we, we do have a role. Um, there are roles across the disability um, movement. And one of our roles from the you said is to do systems change work is to write grants and create projects and, and work with stakeholders to improve things. And, and that's what I kind of mean when I say help. I think we're doing our part and everybody else has a part to play as well. Mm -hmm. I think I've learned very clearly that this is a human rights movement. And if you're a human, you can help the movement. And and that's probably what I would kind of leave. But we have to make sure that the work we're doing is really getting to the point, right? right? The point is not running a successful grant. The point is using the grant opportunity to improve the day-to-day experience of individuals with disabilities and their family members in whatever way that grant is designed to do that. That's right. the point. The, grant, the, the point in all of this is not to get all of these grants or do all of these projects so that you have a nice career. It's to use your opportunities, to use your privilege of being educated and, and being in a position to do this work to really make sure it translates to the people um, that it's designed to support. And I think that's actually one of the things I've loved about being in, at, at the CPD in this network is I am in awe of the potential that we all have to really move things forward and, and really improve everyone's quality of life um, as we work together as stakeholders. And the potential that this collective disability field, meaning everybody and anybody that's associated with it to make the world a better place is still untapped. And just to me, it's awe-inspiring. As much work as needs to be done, um, as much work as has been done, right? There's so much work that's been done by so many amazing people that we we do stand on the foundation that they've built. And I, I see the new generation of advocates and individuals with lived experience that are getting involved in the disability rights movement. and you know, it's in 2020, it's a little hard to be optimistic. It's a rough <laughs> year so far, but I am optimistic that the the generation of self-advocates and others that are coming forward into this movement uh, are going to continue to do amazing things. And that's mm-hmm. really encouraging. And, and I think that's one of the highlights, you know, when we interviewed some of the young adults that are involved in this work now, um, whether it was our, our friends in Boston and that group, or it was our friends, um, Micah and Destiny and Justin and others. Uh, that's really encouraging to me that things are going to continue to, to get better. So how are you going to stay involved in this work in your new position? 
not necessarily the projects that you're currently working on, but what new work will you be doing in this area to kind of continue what you've been working on? That's a good question. I think, you know, the disability issues will always be in policy, will always be kind of a part of my, my research agenda. Uh, I do have a teaching emphasis in my new position, and I'm going to be working with graduate students in MSW program. And I'll, I'll get to bring all of this experience from the disability field into our conversations and, and help them hopefully understand that this is, like we say, the largest minority group that anyone can join at any time. It's one of the larger marginalized groups. It's at the intersection um, <clears throat> of a lot of the pressing, other pressing social issues of our time. Mm -hmm. um, there's disparity in how individuals from different racial backgrounds are treated within the disability system. There's overrepresentation in our special education system of people of color, students of color. And that just goes in every social issue you can bring up. There isn't, there's an intersection with disability, which, you know, we named this podcast, the, the cross mental health crossroads exploring the intersection of disability and mental health. Well, there's intersections with disability and everything in addition to mental health. Right. So I think, and I've joked about this on earlier podcasts with Elaine and other people with a social work background, disability in, in, in a lot of social work programs is like one chapter, chapter 16 in the textbook. And sometimes you have a 15 week semester. So what chapter gets left out? Well, chapter 16. Um, right. so I'm hopeful that I'll be able to just bring in the disability issues across the things that I am involved with. I think that's what I'm planning to do. So this wasn't on our agenda, but I want to ask a little bit about how you think a lot of the things happening at the present moment, whether that's the COVID-19 pandemic or this like sort of global recognition of the Black Lives Matter movement, how does that impact what you're going to be doing or just how do you think it impacts the disability field in general? I just think it's a really interesting topic, especially right now, because I, a lot of people are going to be newly acquiring disabilities because of the coronavirus, and people with this existing disabilities can't necessarily readily access the medical care that they need or the support they need. I mean, that's all that's been on most of our minds for the last several months, and uh, I don't know that I can articulately wade into that with a response that's going to be coherent. I have a lot of strongly held opinions that I'm holding up closely and examining. You know, I'm as, as a white male in this profession, I'm um, taking very seriously the counsel of my colleagues um, who have the lived experience to really examine closely the privilege that I do have. And, and how I can be the best ally. And, and I've seen, I've, re I've been reading a lot. I've been listening a lot. I'm, I'm in that teach me mode. Please teach me to, to do more and to do better at the part that I play in this. Um, I think it's just so intense right now that this is all, you, 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 every, everything is intense. Mm-hmm. Life is is intense, and these are these are issues that obviously have been around for generation after generation. And then you layer like a global pandemic on top of it, right? Like 
all of our systems uh, have struggled for for whoever, longer than I've been in my career to to meet the, the needs of people um, sufficiently, right? Special education is not where we'd like it to be in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, the social security system, healthcare, Medicaid, Medicare, uh, disability waivers, accessibility, inclusion. What's that? Oh, I threw in mental health care. Yeah. Well, I mean, on this project, we're focusing on the mental health. I mean, so our systems haven't been operating optimally. It's not like we had like this utopia and then this pandemic showed up. It's like right. we're in the midst of all of these struggles as, as a society and as, as global citizens. And then to just throw in a, you know, a pandemic on top of it has only really complicated that in a lot of ways. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly it's complicated the lives, the, the day-to-day lives of so many of our, of, of our friends and, and colleagues so I don't know how to, to really coherently um, get into that other than yeah, I think you make a good point. You know, there's going to be more folks that acquire a disability and are going to find themselves in need of services. And how prepared are we to deal with that? Mm-hmm. And how prepared are we to deal with the mental health aspects that come with acquiring a disability? Thank you for sharing all of your thoughts there, Jeff. Is there one thing you want to tell our listeners as a takeaway we've done this in quite a few other episodes and i'm just curious what you want to tell people right now i mean i think there were there's two things i would say and one is take a moment and figure out how you can be kinder in 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 something that you do today or tomorrow just you know, if, I told somebody the other day, if we could all be even 1% kinder to other human beings and other animals on the planet, mm-hmm. 1% difference from us collectively would have a huge impact. And the idea of being 1% kinder um, doesn't feel as daunting as just the, hey, you should be kind. I think a really practical piece of that in, in the current environment is just wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Just wear a mask out of kindness for others. Whatever your thoughts or ideas about uh, the pandemic or politics or anything else, just be kind. Just take the opportunity to be kind by a simple gesture as like wearing a mask. I think that's a great key takeaway. Thank you, Jeff. I'll just say it's been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. I never knew that I was going to be involved with a podcast until I was told that we should do a podcast and why don't you be the host? Um, I've enjoyed it. I've had to listen to myself for hours at a time in editing. <laughs> I'm well aware more than any of the listeners about how much I say, um, and, and I appreciate everyone's patience with that as I've learned how to do this. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it and I'm excited. I'm excited as a listener going forward to, to see where season two takes us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MHDD Crossroads podcast, where we explore the intersection of mental health and developmental disabilities. Make sure to watch and listen for our October episode with our new host, Tatiana Perea. Also visit our website at mhddcenter.org or follow us on social media at mhddcenter for more resources, trainings, and other material. Thanks for listening to season one of our podcast, and we'll see you back here for season two.